listeners. I was going to try and come up with some like interesting pun, but I have no puns within me. Um, we are doing a special episode today. And it is not based on a movie, but based on questions that were asked on Instagram uh, about things or kind of queries about what we should talk about or sort of interesting ideas that people had that they wanted us to look at. Yeah. It was a very uneloquent way of saying this is a Q&A episode. I should probably, so. I should probably get Instagram, maybe. Or you should do. Or maybe we should. It's because I erased everything. But maybe we should do like an estranged yeah, profile. Should. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we're we're kind of we've 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 been doing the ep, um, the podcast for nearly a year, and I think we're deciding like we're gonna do it, do it. Yeah. Like once a week, it's been kind of nice doing the ad hoc thing. But yes. Yeah. I think we're gonna like sh- shift up gears. But there's like, and there's also like a dip every time we don't do one for a few weeks. Yeah, the and it's quite hard to get back into it. But it's usually like um, life or work, other work that gets in the way. So it's kind of hard to to keep it consistent. But I thought, but yeah, I know. And then it, yeah. But I thought this is cool because it's there's like a, the motives sort of grow, or the not, not incentive, but sort of the inspiration to do it more often and, and more like re- more just like formally um mm-hmm. when there's like uh communication with like people that, that listen to it and they're like interested so yeah. the feedback is yeah. like great yeah i sometimes get nice messages from people which is like inspiration to keep going <laughs> so, i guess maybe we like the sound of our own, t- our own voices too much or maybe i do yeah. So maybe I'll just do a podcast anyway. Yeah. Um, so there's like, yeah. so uh, they sent a bunch, but I think we chose five. Mm-hmm. And then we'll wrap it up talking about the Oscars and the, Demo- the, the Democratic primaries. Oh, yeah. Those, those chestnutty topics of yeah. the moment. Okay. Yeah. So, right. The first one was about a question about why people are so fascinated with the royal family. Yeah. And I think we talked about this a little bit. I don't know if it's the last episode where we talked about Parasite mm-hmm. or an episode before. Yeah. Um, but the idea is that for, for me, and I know Hegel has sort of like, obviously, dialectical reading of it. And obviously we tend to think that somebody's either for a royal family or against it or that it's super archaic or super right wing um, or that... Yeah, there's absolutely no reason that why there should be a royal family. But there are certain sort of leftist mm-hmm. ways of looking at what a royal family does. Yeah. And then potentially from that, formulating new ways that maybe aren't quite so ridiculous and unfair that would follow that model. Yeah. Um, but the question was really about why people were so interested in it. And one thought that I had about it was that the royal family is sort of like a, a positive scapegoat. Yeah. Um a sort of plus uh, around which sort of fascinations are projected um, and things that don't quite fit into general society sort of sequestered away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's also something about like the royal family is like totally absurd. I mean, it is totally, there's no justification for it, especially now that we don't believe in the divine right of kings. 
Um, And that absurdity, that accident of birth, Mm -hmm. is something that I think people find quite fascinating. I mean, there's two sides to it. There was um, obviously, uh, if people watched the... um, most recent royal wedding, or actually it wasn't the most recent royal wedding because there was a minor royal who got married like last year or something, but yeah. the marriage of Harry and Meghan, um, Meghan one could see this. Somebody was, like, oh, oh, somebody was like, oh, they're harassing her because she's black. And I was, I didn't know she was black, Could like just seeing mm-hmm. pictures of her. I wouldn't have thought that she's black. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, that's a very like complicated issue, but I think one of the main reasons why, well, first of all, as a, you know, that the royal family is a sort of scapegoat and they have to behave in a certain way. Otherwise, us as a society in the UK project a huge amount of hatred onto them. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is like, that can be a legitimizing mechanism of like the ill social structures that we have. And we just like get angry and scapegoat all of our, you know, rage against them. Yeah. And that does what happen tend to happen when people join the royal family. But sort of... But do, you think like, that's, do you think that's like a real reason why people like sort of criticize her? Because she's black or because she's royal family? Um, well, this is the thing. I think it's... I mean, there's I always trolls, the, right? They just think it's funny yeah. that people freak out um, mm-hmm. about, you know, they'll post like racist stuff, but it's just to get people angry. Um, I think it's interesting because... I think the real reason why people are annoyed or were annoyed, now she's left, was sort of half left the royal family, but the reason why people were annoyed was because <laughs> more that she was American and yeah. didn't understand the mechanisms by which she had to act. Yeah. But the thing is, all new members of the royal family come and come under immense amount of like scrutiny and we kind of... The, the tabloid press is sort of like a, a projection screen of our collective rage. And the thing is, yeah. like, that can either be a positive thing or a negative thing. I suppose it can be neutral as well, but, you know, it's like a galvanizing mechanism of people's anger yeah. um, in order for us to function properly. Um, but, and that could, as I said, it could be like a release valve to quell our sort of anger at society in general that we could actually have some proper change. Or it's actually like, you know, it's good. It's like, well, yeah, screw them. We're paying for them. You know, we have the right to get angry. Yeah. And it's sort of like we can use that as like a, a reading of, of course, the like ridiculous absurdity and unfairness of it. But um, I think the thing is when you are a person and um, each person has sort of different characteristics, mm-hmm. uh, one will be looked at for... Uh, whatever characteristics one has. And um, so, for instance, the Sarah Ferguson married actually Prince Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, in the, I'm guessing, 80s. And she was very mildly bigger in size than people might have usually assumed a princess would be. And so she was really... <laughs> somewhat... Uh, for, I love that the, the Seinfeld line is like, of somewhat generous proportions... <laughs> somewhat generous proportions. Yeah, yeah. She was of somewhat. Well, the funny thing is, it's like she wasn't even very big, but you know. And she was called things like the Duchess of Pork, and she was sort of ridiculed for not being. <laughs> um, yeah, instead of the Duchess of Pork. So she was like ridiculed for not being um, perceived to be a bit tacky and a bit. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, so there were all kind of and the things. There were three things that were kind of perceived to be racist mm-hmm. um, or classist. 
Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, ob- it's obviously a hugely classist critique when you're not like Kate Middleton, who is very good at not putting a foot wrong, not mm-hmm. being criticizable as a member of the royal family. You know, was obviously she's from, from a middle class family, sort of more bourgeois, and she has relatives that were seen as uncouth and everything. But um, there were there were a couple of articles. One article I think pointed out that I think the title was something like "Nearly Straight Out of Compton" for yeah. um, Meghan Markle, and I think it's because she came, she grew up in an area called Crenshaw, which is quite near Compton in LA, and that obviously Compton is. A more african-american area so that was perceived as sort of like a commentary on her race and there was another one where um i think uh, somebody who is associated was associated with either the bbc or some journalistic outlet um when there was no news of the royal birth i've oh, got i have way too much knowledge about this but i'm kind of <laughs> fascinated by the way British society functions mm-hmm. um tweeted a picture like you know what's the baby going to look like and there was a picture of it was like a sort of vintage photograph of a couple with a chimpanzee in between them so that was obviously <laughs> people are so stupid yeah. i know that was obviously i mean who knows what his conscious intention was but that was obviously one of them and mm. the third one do you know what i can't remember what the third one was but th- those were the mechanisms by which the critique that does happen a lot of the royal family took place because they were pointing out sort of commenting on how you know the, the way she appears or whatever but um i think there was a lot more critique about her so-called humanitarianism yeah. and well campaigns about climate change but taking projects and stuff yeah well i think the 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 royal family takes a symbolic sort of place that is kind of akin to a void and mm. i think it ma- i think it makes sense that they can't like how did you say like they can't put a foot in the wrong place because it's very sort of like template ready and there's all this like etiquette and and a a look and i think those are not really like symptoms of like racism or classism even though they are approached by people through those channels but really it it is the reason why that happens it's because it's it's symbolic and I think people know that and there needs to be sort of a symbolic void between people and politics otherwise Mm -hmm. otherwise it's direct and things can go to shit you know when that happens so if there isn't a royal family in in other countries i think this the symbolic sort of place goes somewhere any like it's still imposed Either way, even if it's yeah. if it's not called like the royal family, like I would think yeah. that maybe the Kardashians are sort of like the royal family of the United States. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's a that's an overreach, but someone is. And the th- first lady or someone like that, uh, you know, Jackie Kennedy, somebody yeah. that that kind of role where. But you're right; it's 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 if you expose too much your humanity that void almost becomes traumatizing. It's like, yeah, we want some kind of undivided subject. Yeah. Which is why. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think that the Royal family has to follow all these etiquettes and sort of standards because it, you need to keep up the appearance of, you know, this like indirectness to politics. And uh, I I would think maybe the Royal family is very, that the job is very similar to like an actor. I mean, all you have to do is just act a certain way when people are looking. Um, 
but yeah it's it's i think it's it's all about this sort of like this fiction that you can invest yourself in cynically that purely yeah. functions as a distance between the political and the individual um no, i think that's really interesting and i think your idea of like the the role of the princess it's like you are not the princess and i think that's the issue of like if somebody has been famous beforehand there's yeah. a person becoming an actual person who is a princess but mm -hmm. it's like and obviously we don't relate to celebrities in the same way in the neoliberalization of the, the commodity of the self that has really proliferated like in the last 10 years means that we you know that the the famous people are kind of humanized or share and expose what seems to be private issues and it is a lot of people like it and there are a lot of people who get very annoyed with it you know if a, if a famous person talks about their private issues too much and can it can kind of almost disturb us a bit yeah yeah and i you know i kind of like the whole divine right thing i don't i'm not even sure that any anybody ever believed that there was like a divine right i think it was just something that they chose it's maybe like a mimetic sort of acceptance but it would be interesting for that to come back because i i forgot who said this but they were making the point that uh in the united states the first lady should be elected and should be different yeah. than than uh just the wife of the president um but i'm i I don't necessarily think that symbolically that would work because I don't yeah. think that the void space between the the political and the and the individual um, should be electable. I think it That's needs to be sort of like you know hands off and it just happens yeah. out of your control and it it already has its sort of characteristics and particularities, but it's not because people choose it because as soon as people choose it, it becomes political, and that's yeah. precisely why it's there to create a distance um yeah, no that's true that's true and it's, it's as soon as um royal, members of the royal family certainly in the u k become political on any subject i mean the a word political is so kind of contentious as to what it contains these yeah. days. Um, it, we're kind of like horrified by it. it's interesting you know I was just thinking about the idea of the void and the death of Princess Diana mm -hmm. because that moment of her death I mean that like humanized somebody who is essentially a void projection screen and the trauma it almost ruined the entire royal family I mean the queen um, was seen to be you know very callous and not caring and all these it really really people started to and she obviously was perceived to be a victim of the sternness of the royal family because she was you know this more emotional person who didn't really fit in and but the the, the reaction of the public it was it was very hysterical you yeah. know people were crying in the streets and there were these like public displays of emotion which is obviously not very British at all but um you know <laughs> that was something that really it was like it was completely un it was it was like an irrational response to this horror I mean it was horrific Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. Um but yeah, I I mean I I just think that it's I don't know. The less the less that people get to choose what is the void, it's it, it's the the more that it functions as it's meant to. Um Interesting. So yeah. Interesting. So the next question I think you were going to approach Adrian, right? Yeah, uh, somebody asked about a friend's reunion. And, okay, well, this kind of reminds me of like the, the Baudrillard thing about um, the, the, the copy 
without an original. Um, so when I first started watching Friends, I don't know if you've watched it as much, but um, I always I th I just thought it was kind of like interesting that it was so close and for, to Seinfeld, the first like sort of sitcom that was like based in New York. Um, well, maybe maybe there's another one. I, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody might call me out on that, but uh, it's so cl it was so close, and I think it was kind of clumsy, but eventually it sort of became its own thing but i don't know it it's it stopped resembling a copy of seinfeld but it still kind of was uh in a in a deeper way um so i think that like a reunion would be this sort of like complete fail because it would be a sort of a a copy of a copy without an original um mm -hmm. and and i don't know i just think that there's like this sort of a fetish of of uh, repetition and uh, to me it, when it comes to media and just popular culture culture in general um revivals or reunions or reboots are basically just like the manifestation of death death drive through art um and yeah i just think that repetitions don't work And I mean, we can get into the particulars of it, but like, I think that they've tried to do it with Seinfeld. It was interesting in Seinfeld because they didn't do a, a proper reunion. The reunion happened inside of the Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, show. And mm -hmm. because y y that show is actually about like Larry David, the person with a, with a few different like exaggerations and um eccentricities but it happened inside of that show but it's still it was kind of like horrific to look at uh because they added like uh, uh phones and and well smartphones and like apple watch and you know, all this weird shit um and i don't know it just like things are things are just like out of time when they're rebooted and it just doesn't work in the same way because it's too close to the original i think that there's a sort of fidelity that betrays its authenticity um yeah i mean i I've, i was never a big fan of, of of friends but i would just say that uh a reboot wouldn't wouldn't work um precisely What? because it would try to emulate it and that's i don't know i think that copies don't just, just don't work like that when you follow too closely what you think is the core of something it just ends up becoming sort of mutated and weird um i think precisely the reason why things work in the beginning if they become successful is because they're not identical to themselves and when you mm -hmm. try to become identical to it it just backfires completely it, it feels completely artificial and uh, synthetic What do you think about, uh, obviously Friends has appeared on Friend, on Netflix and I know my younger sister's always watching it. Yeah. And the thing is Netflix does, you know, talking about this repetition thing, I, a different kind of repetition, it does um, lend itself to watching things over and over and over. Obviously you don't have to wait until Friday evening to watch your Friends episode mm -hmm. at 9pm like you used to in the 90s. Um, but what do you think about this idea of people returning to the same cultural products like what is it, 20 or th nearly 30 years later? 30 years later? Like, what's, a, what's an example of that? So, so like, for, for instance, this Friends, like, why it's become in the cultural imagination again now that it's on Netflix. 
Oh. Do you think people are kind of watching it with a sort of irony, like a, a distance or irony, or is there a nostalgia factor? I mean, obviously there is a nostalgia factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you tend to have like good takes on what nostalgia is, and uh, yeah, why we're well, compelled by it. Um, why do people watch it? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's different than the reasons. I think are different than what they were when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah, I think there's a sort of like ironic uh, attachment to it because I think people watched it and it had like good ratings and stuff. And but I think now people are just sort of like doubling over it and trying to enjoy sort of like an escape of like the the present time. But it's it doesn't work like if you would. I, I guess like escape works completely different when it's like. N- through nostalgia or through something completely mm-hmm. different, like, I don't know, reading a book or watching a completely new movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's more like, I don't know. I think you, it's 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 an, it's an even deeper sort of retreat because you don't have to be engaged at all because you've already watched it. So it, it's it's like you're watching something, but it's less than that. It's, it's almost like you're not watching it. And- uh, Yeah, it's interesting. Because having, I, I do notice my younger sister when she watches that she has it like when she's doing her work, watching it in yeah. the background with a sort of half ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that th- that's it's it's sort of like when you watch it, it's a it's a total bypass. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I'm I'm more familiar with with Seinfeld, but when I put Seinfeld on just to watch it, I already know what they're gonna say. Like I grew up yeah. with it, and I kind of know like I know the lines. So when mm-hmm. I watch it, it's almost like less than if I was not doing anything at all you know what i mean like it's yeah no it's like it's it's like a meditation almost yeah it's kind of like it's yeah it's kind of like a meditation or it's sort of like this reflexive routine where the expected is going to happen and (laughs) that's like comforting yeah it's very comforting and yeah especially now i think that things are just so chaotic and and, and, uh, i mean there's like this extreme excess of content online mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. kind of nice sometimes to just be like okay i'm i want to watch something in which i know what's going to happen and yeah it, yeah there's something sort of like banal about it but at the same time i guess i know why people would do that i watch this uh mad men every night before you go to bed i've seen it <laughs> so many times <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, even though it's very like has like a darkness to it it's so comforting to just have that yeah. I obviously find that period of time a bit comforting. <laughs> yeah, and there's a few <laughs> movies, with, and there's yeah. a few movies that you watch, and mm-hmm. even though you know what's going to happen, um, you're still you can still get into it and still get kind of anxious yeah. and like, oh my god, is yeah. he actually going uh, yeah, to die? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's not going yeah. to die. And I think that people also enjoy that. You know, they know it's going to happen, but at the same time, yeah. there's this sort of like risk-free involvement through anxiety or just like expectation. Uh, it's which, homeopathic. Yeah. Uh, it's the stress of so it's a homeopathic thriller. It's like you get the the <laughs> imprint. What do they say with homeopathy that you like? You get the imprint of the thing in the water that you drink. It's like the imprint of the emotional roller coaster you're going to go on. But yeah, 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 yeah. Tamer. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I I like that. I like that. There's this space where you can act as if you're anxious or excited about something yeah, in which you know that it's going to end it's kind of like the royal family no i'm just kidding but uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um it's like a roller coaster i mean unless you're extremely unlucky you're fine 
Yeah. But it's like a very gentle roller coaster with absolutely zero risk. Yeah. But yeah, I like this. I, I So to me, it's just like the meaning of friends is this sort of like you, you, you engage with it in a way that is, I don't know, risky, but at the same time within a completely safe zone. That's what mm-hmm. I would say about it, yeah. Interesting. I like it. Like it. Our next question was about fashion. So I wanted to hear about fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and a thought I had was actually um, just based on being an observer. Uh, my sister works in fashion and the brand, which I will not name, that she works for, um, has actually, you know, it's a, it's a very sort of um, high end. It's more involved in sort of like artistic production, I guess. You know, one of those crazy catwalk weird shit fashion brands but yeah. they've actually um engaged in uh where it lent in to what i would guess like woke marketing mm-hmm. you might call it um and i was thinking about it because obviously the demographic of the people who are buying the products are not it's not the normal population and obviously the thing is like fashion is, is a strange one because it does it's like um in some respects like consummately capitalistic like it has to it's it's raison d'etre is accumulate is is production of the new like something new it's constantly finding something new to like get people's libidos going in terms of the the like drive to accumulate but at the same time it's sort of outside of capital capitalism because when it's a sort of type of fashion brand where they make all their money selling ridiculous handbags but not very many of them um to to a certain like stratum of society it kind of plays the rules differently Um, and obviously i was thinking about this notion of like go woke go broke and how woke marketing really doesn't work very well in the public you know you look at gillette Mm -hmm. and i was kind of all the pepsi ad you know and part of my reason my thought as to why those companies had done it was that you know these videos get like hate views only on youtube type thing and Nobody is so stupid as to, you know, I think normal working people are, can see through that absolutely, like, very silly take on quote-unquote politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my thought about why those companies engaged in that was that they make so much money on speculation now that, like, actually selling a frigging razor doesn't make them that much money compared to what they would get in yeah. speculation. But um, these these fashion brands, like, do lean into the identitarian stuff and almost it's like they are selling themselves to a stratum of society that can engage in these quote-unquote luxury beliefs mm-hmm. where actually um having those beliefs is like a designer label in and of itself and it doesn't you know as in it all it does is to serve as a release verbal justification for one's position in society like it's not radical in the slightest and i think we all know you know normal people know that that kind of politics isn't radical that marketized version of so-called well it's i you know with a tinge of social justice it's just not that at all yeah um but i think it's interesting that whilst mainstream companies get a lot of shit for doing that these these very sort of elitist brands can kind of get away with it because they are selling products to the people who for whom those beliefs are useful yeah. and actually 
immaterial, really. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I like that. Do you? Th- I was going to ask you. Do you think there can be a sort of like non-classist critique of this new trend of thrift stores? What do you think about this whole thing? Non-classist critique. Yeah, because so I think a lot of people go to thrift stores just because it's cheaper, you know. But mm-hmm. at, at the yeah. same time, yeah. it has its own sort of momentum now and it sort of became mm-hmm. like its own sort of fashion maybe maybe not style but uh i don't know just like a a, a medium uh well which, yeah there's obviously yeah. something very like hipster about it sort of like conspicuous rejection of consumption yeah or of the new but i think you know like it like i i do like buying secondhand clothes like getting really nice but secondhand clothes and there feels there's something it feels like especially when some like time's gone into making something you feel like you're respecting the item and yeah do you think and i think like you're respecting the means like you're respecting the work that's gone into making it by buying secondhand yeah or or even selling stuff secondhand but yeah what I was well, I was going to ask you. What do you think is fashion? Do you think fashion is when people wear clothes and when they buy it, or when it's created and designed? I mean, my gut thing is to say that the fashion industry is the generation of the need to accumulate. Mm-hmm. But obviously, the thing is, like, fashion houses are about craft and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. it is interesting how it, that, like, so for this this brand that she works for, it's a really lovely product and really amazing ethos. And um, in terms of like, it's 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 a craft based company. It's all made by hand, and it's got like a lot of heritage and it's been around for a long time. And they use like artisans in the European country where it's based. Um, but at the same time, there's that there's that like craft side which. Um, focus, you know, if you focus on craft, that's focusing on the means. So it's like pretty much mm-hmm. the most anti-capitalistic thing you can do. But then on the other so- side, you have the industry part of it. You know, or the yeah. like the 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 fashion fashion part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I was going to tell you. Um, oh my god, she doesn't listen to the podcast, so it's totally fine. But I mean, I, I uh, my mother-in-law. I mean, I I love her. She's great. But uh, she has this weird sort of like symptom where i think she's a hoarder of mm-hmm. of fashion items and i don't i don't think she knows that she's a hoarder <laughs> uh so basically like she she lives in in a in a nice house and uh you know she she has um all all of her offspring her daughters like they left home already so mm-hmm. little by little she's been like filling up all of the closets um like of the of the three daughters that she had that are not all there not there anymore uh she's been filling her closets with her own clothes and uh nice. but there's a, but there's this thing of like if there is a an item like a purse or a dress or whatever that is uh in, in spanish it's called pieza única so it means like it mm-hmm. the only one of it was made and there's not mm-hmm. another one like it in the world that becomes sort of like a thing it's like oh i need to have it and uh but I don't know. Do you think that there's like a? Do you think fashion should work that way in in the sense that it's like? Yeah. I mean not- that that sounds that does sound like because hoarding is a form of like capitalism. You know, it's like it is yeah. accumulation by 
by definition. Uh, what I do, like, I think this is being really marketized now. And there's a website that I really like going to. And I feel like part of the whole branding is this sort of like, it's great for the environment because you're recycling clothes. But I think there's something nice. Like, I think there's a nice side to it, which is you are valuing the means of production by getting a lot of wear out of it. So rather than just having it in a cupboard, you know, you're like actually... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. This is like... Some of them have never, maybe most of it, at least more than half has not been worn and it still has like the tags and stuff. Maybe that's completely different. But um, yeah, I just think that like, I don't know, accumulation sort of like finds itself in in all places of capital, whether it's like in the company itself that creates the, the fashion or whether it's like the person that just like decides to buy it. Um... Yeah, like when you were talking about the whole environment thing, it's just like the only reason why capital would ever give any time of day to like environmental issues, it's because it's going to be profitable and it's going to add to accumulation. Absolutely. And this is where I think like the real, it's because because capitalism has spread to so many realms. And actually, I just wanted to make a quick aside about it's interesting that fashion is something that is like perceived to be and kind of rightfully, you know, um, it, like capitalism par excellence is because like you know if you look at the the fashion house of uh of phantom thread you know that's actually like that is the non-capitalistic side of it the mm-hmm. in real embrace and like entering into excellence and like um the means of production and how it was so quickly capitalized when it was like one of it seemed like an early an early industry that was really you know liberalized um yeah. but i think this whole thing as you say like capital will only engage in things that like serve capital yeah it's becoming so obvious now because it is spreading so fast and such fast rate to, to all these different realms and i think really obviously we can see the like the fallacy of a lot of 20th century political movements you know 68 being one really obvious one yeah. where the things that people claim to be political are nothing of the sort and i it is funny that like some sort of bad reading of what the unconscious is really yeah ends up being like this the body is political well i mean it is because you live in the world and you live in material conditions but it's not because it's not yeah yeah really basically it's not surplus value yeah that's great um, and what what is surplus value is you going on instagram creating a brand out of look at my I I am so woke because I'm embracing my size mm-hmm. like that's actually the capitalistic gesture yeah 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 that's pretty good I like that anyway this is something I kind of want to really I'd- talk about later about um, yeah, the Taylor Swift documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, uh, yeah no, but yeah, I was gonna, I was going to tell you this is like I'm I don't understand fashion. Like to, to, I've mm-hmm. I've very often thought that you know it would be such a relief for me to just buy like ten of the same outfit and I would just wear the same. T- like yeah. I like that. I like, but yeah. I guess like even yeah. that is sort of like accumulation. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think, I think, because I think it like it can be either. It's like minimalism if it becomes like a desperate drive to be minimalist is sort of capitalist. But if it is mm-hmm. like minimalism as a result of 
Well, it's because minimalism is an, it's an aesthetic. It's not, yeah. well, at, at least it is now as a brand. Um, it's not really about yeah. like living uh, with less. It's more just like a look now. A look. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like if it happens to be a result of, you know, a desire to own fewer things and not, and not like, you know, as in it's a natural offshoot of being the kind of person who knows that more stuff doesn't make you happier. Yeah. Then I guess that's not... <laughs> this thing is, all these times are so slippery now because, like, we are enmeshed in this, like, multidimensional matrix of capitalism. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy. Should we do the next one? The next the next one was... Oh, yeah, Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Black Mirror. Uh, I'll do that one. So yeah. Black Mirror is like uh, I was I was talking to a friend the other day and we were having a discussion about whether Black Mirror is about technology because I think it's being sold like that uh, or advertised like that or at least a lot of people understand it like that. But I don't necessarily think that it's about technology. First of all, like technology is not really anything in itself. It's just this sort of... Uh, what would you call it? This sort of like force that is inhabited by subjectivity and just like content that is created by subjects. So maybe it's sort of like an accelerator uh, and sort of like an expander or a repetitor. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily think that technology has changed people. Maybe the amount of exposure has, mm-hmm. but the ex- but what they're being exposed to is completely sort of like, you know, within the realm of what is human. Not, yeah. you know, like technology itself doesn't bring anything to the table. I might be wrong. I agree with you. I but agree with you. Yeah. I think it's completely imminent, basically, to sort yeah. of subjectivity. And it's sort of like an extension, you know, like on Google Chrome, you can put like an extension that is sort of like an application. Uh, I think yeah. it's exactly the same thing. Um, and and well, I think that's maybe that's really interesting. technology has always been like that, right? I mean, technology yeah. is sort of yeah. like an appendage, uh, yeah. a sort of metaphysical appendage to what already exists and it's imminent to it. But anyway, yeah. I thought maybe I would just take a couple of episodes and just give my take on it. So there's an episode where people can revisit their memories and mm-hmm. you can tell that they're doing that by, because there's like a, their eyes become sort of clear. Uh, and that means they're just sort of like, their eyes are on standby because what they're looking at is something that they already lived. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this very interesting part in that episode that is called... Give me one second. I think it's called Your Life or something like that. Um, uh, the Entire History of You. That's the, And I mm-hmm. think it's the third episode on the first season. And there's a scene where it's kind of horrific and it's meant to be maybe it has to do with like the music and the lighting and stuff, the atmosphere. But there's a couple that is having sex and they're both gone. Like both of, both of their eyes are, are clear and they're having sex. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're not there present in the moment. So that kind of reminded me of a couple of things that that um, that scene in Annie Hall where they're having sex and then their ghosts or their specter sort of just like her specter leaves a room and then 
he his specter just goes and then they start like arguing amongst themselves or just like hey what's going on while they're having sex in the other room uh, and then the other one is the scene from Blade Runner 2049 where there's mm-hmm. like this this phasing issue between uh, the, the the sort of phantasmatic um, uh, t- tailor made through to the desires of the replicant which is like joy and yeah. I just think it's interesting that it's meant to be like this sort of like horrific scene uh, and it really it's it perfectly sort of illustrates how desire or fantasy works whenever somebody's having sex. Uh, Zizek has talked about this a lot and it's that whenever you're having sex with somebody uh, there needs to be this distance between you and the other person through fantasy and mm-hmm. you're like in the moment but at the same time you're revisiting a certain sort of fetishistic moment in which you fell in love with the person and you know like in the in that case like sex really becomes sort of masturbatory because yeah. you're hanging on to this eternal sort of fetish that you can revisit and I think it happens all the time uh, and and I think it's fascinating that you could be having sex with somebody, but be fantasizing about them in a different, in, like not in the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like you're cheating on the person with themselves with them. from a yeah. previous moment or like capture. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's funny. So yeah, I I I love that episode because of that, and I think that it's. It's just reality. And, and again, it goes to show that like technology doesn't really bring anything new to the table. It just mm-hmm. sort of like, mm-hmm. it just becomes more obvious and excessive. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one that I wanted to talk about is um, this very, very sort of crude, like anti, completely anti-spiritual uh, episode that is called, uh, one second, I think it's called Me- Metalhead. Um, yeah. That's on the fourth season. Uh, and it's about this mom that dies, right? And then her sort of consciousness is being is is able to be saved and put into a teddy bear or a or a, <coughs> a monkey or something like that. Anyway, like she lives, or maybe I'm confusing it. No, well, th- the whole point is that like she dies, and then her consciousness gets put into this like device, like an Alexa or something like that. Yeah. And and she is able to like look around the room, but she can't do anything. Like she can she, like she can just see what's happening and it's basically like a living urn or something like that. Uh mm-hmm. and she 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 can witness like her family sort of like living their lives, but what happens is that, you know, after some time the, the husband remarries and it's just like this horrible thing like she she lives in this basically like a white room where she can't die. She's she she's not she can't experience hunger or anything like that. And um, yeah, she's just like, it's this complete light nightmare, you know, just like eternity alone, just witnessing life without being able to interact with it. And I just thought that was a very interesting thing because a lot of people put a lot of emphasis into like the soul. Right. And like the soul is like the most important part or at least like even your consciousness is like the most important part uh, if it's not like religious or whatever. But there's a sort of limit to spirituality and it's completely tied to the body. And I think the body is like sort of like what allows us to interface with the world. And if you don't have the body, there's it's pure sort of existential dread uh, and horror and just 
you know, because you have all the, all of these thoughts that are just like about envy and jealousy and about self destruction and all of that. Like you can't even self destruct if you don't have a body. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think the body is like essential to what it means to be a human being, even more than consciousness, I guess. Uh, yeah. Because mo like mo let's not forget that most of nature uh, is based off on just. Uh, uh, like sort of like the natural textures which is like the body and the consciousness is the only thing that separates us from everything else and maybe it's 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 important to remember that perhaps that's the sickness of the natural world which it's this deviation into consciousness uh, yeah <laughs> and i just thought it was interesting that it, there's this emphasis on like the body as like the primary holder or vehicle and i would say it's like is it a vehicle or is it even more does it take an even more important position than that and it's like the consciousness is not even it's it's negative without a body yeah but i mean it's like consciousness is does not ex like yeah i mean yeah obviously it's just like a whole descartian question but it's like the spirit is the body yeah you know? yeah yeah, um, I actually wanted to just bring something in about this is basically um, a riff on God, <laughs> Todd, <laughs> where he talks about this notion of privacy in um, capitalism and this whole anxiety about privacy is actually like a really great capitalistic ploy because really like in the past, different formations of society, the, the private life didn't exist in the same way. And privacy is like a real fetish of capitalism. And basically in all there's like a dialectic of of borders in capitalism you obviously have to in order to break down borders you have to create new borders and capitalism has to always be crossing new borders threatening so, to co conquer something else right? exactly and so this threat to privacy gives us a sort of sacred space that's not really sacred that it's privatized um, yeah that yeah that that like is always under threat of being taken over mm-hmm and so this whole like retreat to nature and stuff like that, people think it's like, oh, it's a retreat out of the capitalist system. It's almost like the most capitalistic move mm. yeah. because it's a way of not a engaging with the world, the public, which I think is like really important. But it's a sort of a fetishization. It, it basically, it's like a, it's a way of, of um, making um, saintly this realm that needs to be protected from capitalism. But mm. that basically is like a, a, a the capitalistic move in a dialectical sense. And I think technology is another way, this kind of like real um, scaremongering around technology, how, oh my gosh, it's going to melt children's brains. You know, yeah. it's like I learned all the stuff that was most useful to me during my education from audiovisual material, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not yeah. like, it's not some like dangerous thing. It can be really positive just as much as anything else can be positive or negative. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, it, as you say, it's like a, magnet uh, a magnifying arm mm -hmm. of of human beings. And obviously, like everything, when it's on a greater or lesser scale, has influence. You know, you see like Facebook in the Arab Spring, like that's a, you know, it's a magnifying mechanism. But in and of itself, it's not some great, like, spooky thing. And I think this sort of fetishization of the non-technological is a capitalistic move. And it wants us to kind of like, hold sacred within our minds this kind of nostalgic time when everything was simpler and it's that promise that promise that that is better that is the capitalistic gesture 
Yeah, and and you can always take it apart. Like things have never been simple. And yeah, exactly. I think actually the necessity for simplicity is purely sort of subjective or or mm-hmm. like it 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 has to do with human subjectivity and and this need to cope with this the over complexity of nature uh ends up being just like this desire for simplicity but i don't know i just think that that's i think that's what you mean when you say like engaging with the world in a deeper way is is the only anti-capitalist thing to do even though yeah. even though capitalism is complex itself i think the desire for simplicity it's it's dis- it's it's an escape it's not it's not uh yeah, I don't know. I, I think when... And you mentioned yeah. nature. Like, since when is nature simple? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, like, extremely complicated. And the whole, like, it is where all of our anxieties come from. Yeah. Because we obviously live in the natural world. The natural, the natural nature is fucking terrifying. Yeah. So that's why it's important for people to read Hegel. Because it's they need yeah. to think more dialectically in it. You 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 face the world in a way that is more complex, and that's basically the only anti-capitalist sentiment I think that is like available to us yeah. now. Exactly. Yeah. And um, the next one was me, spelt with like several M's and several E's, and obviously <laughs> I think I know who put that on. But um, I actually do you have a lot to say about this. Uh, one of them is if you want to understand <laughs> contemporary ideology, listen to what e- whatever Taylor Swift's album is talking about at any given time. Yeah. Um, honestly, it is. And also watch that Miss American documentary. It's amazing. Oh, okay. Me, like that fucking song. The, uh, yeah. I'm the only one of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. The unicorn, for me, is the emblem of the neoliberal era. It's like the self is like this fight, this, this like, um, the thing is, I, I guess I'm dialectical about the self. Like for me, the self is the mechanism through which we touch the universal mm-hmm. because we all experience lack as speaking subjects. Yeah. But sort of the capitalistic idea of the self is the self as a commodity mm-hmm. and identity politics is, is that really laid bare and the unicorn it's like that so the self is a commodity a commodity has to be something new individual something um that yeah because the way the way capitalist fun- capitalism functions is we're always seeking something new something special that will make us whole and complete and the commodification of the self is the self becomes special unique different and i think this is where I see Jordan Peterson types as the same as the SJW types. It's the same structure, but sort of different. Well, I I say the same politics, basically, but different aesthetics. And in order to overcome capitalism, we have to overcome this idea of um, the self being special. Because it's the unit, basically, and if we have a focus on the specialness of the self, we have a perpetual competition between each of us and are pitting ourselves against each other. And the thing is, like, I'm not saying, like, this is not to say that capitalism hasn't, you know, done amazing things. And who's who's to know if there's anything on the other side? And I'm not a communist. I'm a Hegelian. So I think that an uncapitalistic world, because communism is sort of has a capitalist in that there's let's say there's a utopia that's utopia is like 
also a capitalist gesture if we look at if we just define capitalism as like the perpetual pursuit of accumulation of the new it's like yeah. it's the same thing so when we talk about like oh to break through capitalism or something it'll just maybe be a world that looks very similar but people might suffer less less or they might not experience as much suffering in their suffering yeah um but yeah this this um commodification of the self yeah and there's there was a really there was a really fascinating one recently with a particular person who has a particular um self-commodifying brand and i think it is like the the epitome of this um maybe people might know who i'm talking about very cryptically but yeah <laughs> uh yeah yeah but yeah. the um Taylor Swift's latest album is quite amazing. But did you hear that woman one? The one about if I was a man. No, because I'm a grown ass. Your man life would that's also be turn shit. 30. <laughs> Sorry. No, because I'm a grown ass man that's going to turn thirty this year. I can't. I can't listen to uh, that. Might register baby. as pedophilia or something. You're not no, but... even thirty. Because <laughs> uh, I'm thirty one and I'm yeah. so old. <laughs> No, but uh, I was going to say, yeah, I, I think this nicely connects with what we were talking about before, which is like this retreat into the simplified. And I think that uh, we need to acknowledge sort of like the self-deceptiveness of of the self. And yeah. I think yeah, that... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think that, um, okay, so reducing things to me and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the only one. Like, It's interesting, like I'm the only one of me and that's, that's the fun of me or whatever. Uh, I think that that's it's an oversimplification of the self yeah. that doesn't include the very obvious ontological rupture that yeah. everybody sort of like carries within them. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, just going back to just this whole thing of escape, I think it, that's ba- basically what it is. It's sort of like covering over, it, it's, it's covering over the subjectivity with the fiction of like self-congruency and self-identity. And mm-hmm. it's it's kind of horrific, actually, and I think that song is horrific, and nobody should listen to it. Anyway, I kind I kind of wanted to call this episode "Don't Fuck with Cats" because <laughs> the, that's just what I think about when I watched that Taylor Swift documentary. I actually like watched it in several tranches because it was just too. It is like it. It's the most clear, um, like cynical exploitation. Okay. Of yeah. these aesthetic political issues about the self and this like this fake this fake truthfulness of this famous person showing yeah. themselves as if it's really like oh it's such a challenge it's something new it's oh, it's so dangerous or it's like no you're doing the latest necessary commodified gesture okay so and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the no, reason I say don't fuck with cats is there's cats all over that documentary yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's like but the whole thing being is like the whole it's all about how the main thread running through it is how this um singer wants to be perceived as a good person but that's like literally the the problem with liberalism everybody wants to be good and cannot be criticized because it's all about purity and it is a total protestant deviation of christianity yeah this like liberal liberal ideology which is like you're a good person who has good ideas or you're a bad person who has bad ideas Mm -hmm. and this whole thing is like i want to be good i want to be good i want to be good and then this documentary um basically charts the turning point of a woman who's about to turn 30 who realizes no i can't be this perfect woman who doesn't speak her mind i have to be a girl boss who stands up for women's rights like Mm -hmm. equality as in hashtag 19 frigging 18 like welcome to the club 100 years late but like 
this sort of like fake posing politics and it's not it's like risk-free aesthetics that are necessary to be um relevant on the market Mm -hmm. well i think that okay so i think the reason why it's so enjoyable to watch this document i only watched like 20 minutes but um I was enjoying yeah. it at some level, and I think the level is that... The last 30 minutes are the best. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to have to maybe go back and watch it. But uh, th- the reason why I think it's enjoyable for people to watch this is because you're watching someone in real time trying to create a fiction in which there's a there like there's a coherency of the subject. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh you, you watch her convince herself that she's a good person like uh, along the, the time of the documentary. And it's incredible mm-hmm. to watch because that's what we all wish we could do. But like yeah. deep within our hearts, we know we're pieces of shit like each one of us, even though we think that or we might do good things. But just mm-hmm. like being able to watch it as a sort of entertainment, like try, like how the fuck is that even a documentary where it's just somebody saying, hey, it's I'm not a... a market. It's, it's a marketing plot. Yeah, of course, but like there's... It's this... one advert. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like marketed as a sort of like documentary, even though I yeah, think it's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. a trailer yeah. for her new album. But yeah, uh, yeah it's it, it's incredible. To, like, I mean, maybe the only person that could pull it off as a subject of a documentary is like Mr. Rogers, but even that is kind yeah. of like a boring documentary. Yeah, but it's yeah. incredible that there's like this thing of just like, oh, y- she convinces herself by the end of the documentary that she's like a normal person that is good and that doesn't have any sort of like inconsistencies. And like, that's why she mm-hmm. can be like, like, the, just like political in the way that she thinks that she's political, um, but, which is completely like self-deceptive. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. It is. Yeah, you're right. Like, it's very clever coming up with yeah a narrative like it, 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 like a, a very bad faith narrative to cover over what is really just like maybe completely unconsciously a branding exercise mm-hmm. um and like in in the sense we see all the time it's coming out uh, with certain oh i had this problem i had that as a as a way to not be able to be criticized but there's this like um, there's this amazing sort of like a uh, klein bottle uh, uh mobius strip thing that happens because it's okay so people watch it and if they're not critical thinking they just think oh she's a person just like me but really what happens yeah. is that at the end of the documentary she becomes this sort of like non-person just like everybody else but it functions the other way like you're allowed to think that you know there's this like superstar that is a, a millionaire and yeah. and you you are are able to identify with that person through the fiction of like coherence yeah. where Whereas really what happens is that like, oh, she completely proves that she's like a complete non-person, just like everybody. But, you know, it happens like in this weird sort of like twisted, inverted way. Interesting. I know. And I the reason why I say don't fuck with cats is like it's a whole um, way for her not to be able to be fucked with, i.e. criticized. (laughs) <laughs> the, the irony is that like yeah that's so true but yeah, yeah. No, yeah 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 no i even um, look so I, I was even talking to his friends and, and he was like a guy he was like hey did you watch it and i was just like yeah i mean i don't, I don't know i had I, I don't think i'm gonna watch it it just seems like a trailer to her to her her uh album 
And I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's like the most obvious use of this fucking thing. But to him, it was like, yeah. no, 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 no. It's not that. It's it's about you know, it's about her and how she's a real person. I'm just like, so it's incredible. Like people fall for it. And but you really got to be a specific type of blind. <laughs> yeah. But I know it's it's funny. I don't know. It's interesting how the whole system we live in works. It like requires a sort of, um, you know, like a, a blindness, a yeah. disavowal. Yeah. 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 Should we go to the next maybe one? Maybe should we should we do one more and then maybe we could like do it a part two because we're only halfway through. Okay. Well, Not even actually, through. maybe we're at an hour. Should we stop it there and then we'll do like a part two like pretty soon? Yeah, let's do that because the next we have to talk about punk, Billie Eilish, woke um, ideology in Hollywood, yeah. stand up comedy, greatest showman, yeah. the Oscars, and then the primaries. We could do the other half, yeah, uh, part two. Quick question: Yeah, what's your whole take about the primaries? Uh, well, I thought it was like really interesting that, like, to me, everything revolves around Bernie because he's like basically mm-hmm. the only thing that is keeping me interested in politics. If Bernie doesn't win the primaries, and uh, you know, I'm just gonna completely log off and and not not even look into politics anymore because it's it's insane. The thing is that like yeah, okay. it's like it, it would be it's like he's the last hope of actual politics. The rest of it is just like it's just corporate. It's it's like literally again the market entering into into a realm that shouldn't be shouldn't be market. Yeah, I mean it's it's important not to idealize politics, but I do think that okay, so there's this sort of like helplessness that it comes with being a human being and that has to do with the size of the of earth and just how many of us really are out there but the reason why politics are important is because it's a direct response to that helplessness like oh mm-hmm. do you care about the poor that doesn't mean that you have to go out and just like give people food or whatever i mean you can do that and bless you if you do um but really politics is meant to be sort of like the agency of care uh, that we yeah. have for each other and it's just so disheartening that that's been completely taken away and now it becomes like a basically a capitalist industry uh, politics yeah. was just like this accumulation of influence but influence towards really nothing other than accumulation and and, and capital so but really what politics should belong to people and it should serve the yeah. interests of like people towards other people you know something that I think really played a big part in the labor loss was this um you know and obviously like one could say this about us but i don't think we're doing it in the same way well i i hope not and if we are then i don't like myself <laughs> but um mm-hmm. this sort of like um i don't know if grift is the right word but this um branding as a so-called leftist but it's not that because it is sort of like a careerist leftist, I would call it. And the careerist leftist will, by definition, like lean heavily into identity politics because (laughs) the careerist wants to have approval from the big other, and the big other is currently the market to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And so it's... um, And those who I feel like really are, you know... um, you know, basically, you know, one fears getting cancelled, one fears getting called out. So one must 
not risk anything and one must not by definition really be a universalist and often there is a particularity to group status certain groups by um i would call them quote unquote leftist careerists because i don't think that if you're not a universalist for me that's that's the only definition of a of a leftist really yeah or you could be an individualist and you get to the universal through the individual potentially yeah but like i don't i just and I think there's a lot of it now, and I think so much of it has really damaged, um, yeah, damaged politics. And there's also this, like, and I think that the Elizabeth Warren phenomenon is that is this sort of like aesthetic, like a careerist. Le- I think she is a careerist leftist. Like, she is a she has admitted herself like a capitalist to her core. I don't obviously I, things haven't gone well with her for her in the primaries, but like, I think she's a, she's a so she's a so-called leftist grifter, but it's like an aestheticized version that isn't leftist at all and that term that aestheticization has like been taken like even the word marxist now doesn't even mean marxist (laughs) like socialist it's like you can be a quote-unquote socialist without being a socialist at all with like being a careerist yeah 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 so I I have like this sort of weird hot take but um okay okay so helping people is not it's like unsexy, right? Because it doesn't include enjoyment into it or death drive. Uh, so even though, but it, 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 it doesn't feel good in the way that it feels good to do other things to help other people. Now, mm-hmm. the reason why people are enjoying so much the Trump presidency, uh, whether they're from the left or from the right, it's because there's mm-hmm. an incredible amount of enjoyment that comes from like his followers and just like seeing how other politicians are just like losing their shit over it. And I just I and I do have to say like this might be a, a great moment for like left politics because just to see these motherfuckers like just squirming in their seats and like shooting themselves in the foot like the DNC and like trying to the tearing like, up of their speech. Yeah, exactly. No, but Slave just like queen. No, but the whole app thing, the shadow thing and Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah. Um and just the way that they're like stalling everything just just mm-hmm. so that Bernie's uh, uh, win is sort of ambiguous and people are not really yeah. sure what happened. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so enjoyable. Of it's all of the yeah. data. Oh yeah, no, it's so fun. I had so much fun all week being like, what's the latest on the primary? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my God, this yeah, yeah. is, oh. But yeah. it's so enjoyable. It's so enjoyable to, to just like think about these assholes that are just like trying to like, like they'd rather sabotage themselves mm-hmm. and yeah. they'd rather the world end than to like have burn or someone like Bernie like in office. Yeah. So now the, the reason yeah. why this is like such a great opportunity is because it includes that enjoyment. So you don't have to just yeah. help people. You're also like sticking it to other people that are like horrible while yeah. helping other people. So that's a, you know, it's, it's very particular and I, I like it. <laughs> um, I was going to say that I think the greatest documentary ever made is, in the thick of it what well, even if it's the thick of it in the thick of it i think deep is based on it but it's like it really like i'm not in any way having been an intern at a british embassy when i was like at college and mm-hmm. also through um like work my father did like i when you see the way like governments are run it's like 24 hour firefighting fuck ups like it's run by people therefore yeah. like any conspiracy theory it's like no People are idiots. We're all really yeah. incapable. We're all split subjects. We wouldn't have a fucking clue what we're doing. But I felt like this was really good because it was like the most cat-handedly obvious attempt within the parameters of the legal 
to do things that kind of took the sting out of Bernie being ahead in the popular vote. Yeah. You know, it's just like that, I, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but the like real evidence of a hand in something was like how hilariously ridiculous it was. Like, well, okay, so the, how, like the release of like the Pete being ahead. Yeah. Because it was like miraculously counting all of the things first. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. hello, or like an app, like, how much a fifty million dollar app? How much does it cost to have a pencil and paper? You know? Yeah. No. Well. Okay. So. Um, yeah. What well, uh, conspiracy theory? Maybe we should do an episode on conspiracy theories because um, yeah. it, it's just so crazy how much the standard for something to be a conspiracy theory has been raised. So things now need to be completely ridiculous for it to be like a conspiracy theory because a lot of the things that would be called conspiracy theories like maybe mm -hmm. 10 years ago uh it's just now like a matter of fact uh <laughs> so i don't know it's just like maybe that's why people are so fucking depressed because conspiracy mm -hmm. is basically like everywhere now yeah i guess things are like i don't know on the surface but i guess the thing was i think is also that with the primary i think Bernie wasn't as far ahead as like the, all of that other shit aside as mm -hmm. like maybe people would wanted it and obviously it's different now because there's like so many more candidates um, yeah. but uh, that being said it was amazing entertainment for a week yeah apparently yeah, yeah. refreshing the uh, the old Google uh, yeah. on what was going on all right anyway um thanks for your questions everybody keep them coming we'll maybe do one of these every once in a while yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay um all right over and out over and out bye